0: Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. You might be wondering, why is she doing another podcast? This isn't the usual day. Um, Actually, this is a bonus podcast. Uh, Notice it doesn't have a number on it, because I was talking to my friend and colleague, Alicia Grogan, and we were partnering where I was going to be doing a week of awareness for... Anxiety, OCD, and its relationship with sensory processing. And I interviewed her and I realized this would be great for the podcast. (laughs) I was going to use it on social media and I was actually going to put it on YouTube. But I really feel like some of you are not in those other areas. And so I wanted to create a podcast around this interview so that you could benefit as well. Because um, I'm partnering with her because she is my go-to expert on all things sensory and picky eating. She's an occupational therapist. For those of you that don't know her, um, she has a platform and a website called Your Kid's Table. She's very similar to me. She's kind of like the OT version of me. (laughs) So the sensory picky eating version of Natasha Anxiety and OCD version, right? Does that make any sense? We're both therapists. We have our specialties. Her style is very similar to mine. And And so I go to her for things that are out of my wheelhouse, which includes sensory processing issues. And um, she's a great uh, picky eating specialist as well. So um, periodically, you know, every few years or whatever, I partner up with her and we collaborate. And so we're doing that for the next week on social media. I'm going to be doing a campaign just bringing awareness to the overlap between anxiety, OCD, and sensory. And the reason why I feel like this is really important is a lot of our kids, a lot of our kids, have some sensory needs as well. I think human beings have sensory needs. We all have sensory likes and dislikes. Some of us have sensory processing disorder, and some of our kids are just sensitive and have some sensory needs that can therapeutically be addressed as well. So like my oldest daughter, who's 19, she has sensory processing disorder. She had OT. She had feeding therapy. She was failure to thrive. We had issues with her eating. We had issues with her clothes. We had issues with her ability to understand her body in space. Lots of issues around that. And um, it's interesting to see the adult version of that and what that looks like, but that's not what this episode's about. Um, And then my son and my other daughter, so my 11 and 13-year-old, They have sensory needs. They have sensory sensitivities. And some of their sensory struggles actually feed into their current anxiety and OCD themes. And so there is a huge overlap. And that is why I wanted to bring her in and offer you her expertise. I also do this for her audience. Um, We swap sometimes where I'm actually currently teaching her audience this upcoming week all about anxiety. And I think it's really great for professionals to collaborate and share their expertise to an audience that is not getting that. And that's what we do. We do that sometimes. And this is one of those times because a lot of times you can have an anxious child that is overwhelmed due to sensory. And I actually do have like a little mini course called sensory anxiety, how to crush sensory anxiety, because that looks a bit different. But also I find that you know, my son is very phobic of heights, but he also has had issues with um, his body in space and you know his depth perception. My daughter has an acute sense of smell and an acute sense of taste, and that shows up in some of her anxiety and OCD themes. She has disgust themes, um, where she gets overwhelmed by smells and things that look gross. So it's interesting how they can overlap. I do also think that there is a relationship sometimes between just right OCD and sensory processing. Sometimes they have both, which makes it very difficult. Sometimes they actually have just right OCD and it's misdiagnosed as sensory. Sometimes it's misdiagnosed as just right OCD and it's actually sensory. So it can go both ways. Um, Did I say that both ways? (laughs) I'm not going to rewind and find out, but you know what I mean. So um, if your child is showing some sensory struggles, you're definitely going to want to tune in a little bit more closely to my resources this next week because I'll be posting tips and tricks and um, and partnering with Alicia. And so you'll hear the interview that I um, had with her. And we talk about what are some sensory needs? What would it look like uh, to have some sensory processing struggles? And what can parents do to help their kids? And so I hope that you find this helpful. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is that uh, she is offering my audience, and we do this sometimes where we'll we'll educate each other's audiences and, and give them um, an offer. And she has, much like I have, an online school with online courses, and you can learn how to, how to teach your kids to crush OCD or how to teach them to crush anxiety, all that kind of stuff. She has her own version over there at your kid's table. And she has a program called Rise With Sensory, which is similar to my programs in the In the framework of it, like they're short, bite-sized videos with worksheets. She actually does um, a live Q and A once a month. That's actually really nice. And then she's also throwing in a lot of bonuses for my audience, Um, some like cards, sensory cards, and activities, and a whole bunch of stuff. And so she is giving us fifty dollars off of her program, which is awesome and a huge chunk, so that you guys can benefit. She doesn't do that typically. Um, I just ask her to do that when I'm going to be promoting her stuff and sharing her wisdom, and she's graciously agreed to that. And so that is going to end because it's not an ongoing thing. Let me just look at my calendar really quick. So this is coming out. Hard to say. This is this is probably going to come out on September sixth, Wednesday, and her discount ends on. The following Wednesday. So a week later, September 13th, 2023, Wednesday. And so you can take advantage of that by going to natashadaniels.com slash sensory. Um, that is a, a link that I, that will forward over to her, the discounted page. That's just for my audience. And so definitely take advantage um, because that is not something that she normally gives. So I appreciate that from her. Uh, Before we jump into our interview, I also want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., and you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, I actually today I'm recording this. I don't normally record on the weekend. Record on the weekends, but this is kind of a bonus, bonus podcast. And I was doing my support group calls for the AT parenting community, and I was doing them with the kids, and it was so cute. So many kids were saying, "Oh, I got a new therapist from NoCD," and even in the parent session, they said, "Oh, we're trying NoCD because." um, it works better with our schedule and they're more flexible and it's virtual. And I was like, oh, you know, no CD is really providing a lot for those gaps. So check them out at treatmyocd.com. Okay. Um, without further ado, let's move in to my interview with Alicia. Well, I'm so excited to talk to Alicia, Alicia Grogan's an occupational therapist. She has, um, Your Kids Table, which is just an amazing resource of articles, courses, um, support for parents who are dealing with a lot of difficult struggles. But today I want to talk about sensory issues because actually all of your world overlaps with my world because you deal with feeding and picky eating. Sensory is a big one too. Um, So many kids that I work with in my world overlap with your world because they also have comorbid conditions and sensory issues as well. And that's not my expertise. You are my go-to person for sensory. And so I am excited to have you on and ask you just a couple of questions to help maybe my audience see what, what is sensory and and what we do about that. So, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. So glad to be here. So let's just jump in. Um what are some ways like just a basic question because some people may not understand this. What are some ways that sensory can show up differently for different
1: kids? Yeah, that's a good question. I first want to say that sensory is based on a neurological process. So that means it's happening in our brain. And as we know, each each of us is unique. So how our brain is wired is unique. And that's why we see these sensory processing challenges or difficulties. And they can show up in every which way. So we do kind of have three big categories, but as I'm talking about these, really keep in mind that there can be a mashup of any of them, uh, really based on how your kid is wired and it it actually can fluctuate even from day to day, just based on all kinds of external factors. So one of the ways that we see kids that have sensory needs, I think often gets missed are our kids that don't stop moving. Uh, If they're a boy, we often explain that away as they're a wild child, they're just acting like a boy. But when kids are non-stop moving, climbing the furniture, literally hanging from the ceiling fan, parents know if, if you're listening right now and your kid has done these things, it just seems like a little bit beyond Uh, What you would see a kid typically do, there is almost a lack of fear or danger involved uh, in all of their actions and movements. Another way that we see this show up is when kids are really sensitive to sensory input. So we actually have eight senses, the five you learned about in kindergarten and a couple of more that are related to our sense of movement and our body position and even our internal sensations, our brain can really overprocess or kind of overreact to any of those sensations. So we will see kids that are very sensitive to lights or sounds, the way their clothing feels, uh, to the way food feels or the texture of something in their mouth. They may be scared to get on a swing or to ride a bike because that sense of movement is so uncomfortable for them. That's again, because their brain is kind of over responding now, not as common, but I still think it's so important to uh, mention, and this is definitely the sensory need that is so often missed. It's what's called low registration. These kids uh, that have low registration, often the sensation is kind of getting lost along the way, you know, it, and it's just not really registering. So kids will often appear as really lethargic. They will seem unmotivated. Uh, They have a lack of energy to really do anything. These kids will often fly under the radar because they seem so good and well-behaved but they really start to struggle when they're in school because of this kind of lower arousal level. They're just not fully there because their brain is not being stimulated with the senses in the way that it needs to be to really kind of respond to their environment. Oh, that's interesting. i never even heard about that. Yeah, and I think- Yeah, it's not as well known, but yeah, it it definitely is affecting kids for sure. Yeah, I could think that that would be- impacting a lot of kids
0: and, and missed completely. And I know, um, when, so my oldest has sensory processing disorder and, you know, everything you are discussing, you can have both of those, like she was a ping pong ball, but also she had no spatial abilities. It was very scary when she started to drive because she, she still had no spatial abilities and, you know, in helping her understand, um, that it's sensory and I get all my sensory information from you and your resources. So that's been able, that's been helpful for me. I wish I had it when she was little. Cause that was 18 years ago, but helping her understand that it's not that you're clumsy or it's not that you are, you know, a bad driver, you know, she bumps into people. She like flat tires me when she's walking behind me. Like she has no sense of space. Um, curves were hard for her when she was driving. Like it was scary, but back in the day, you know, I had to find an OT. Um, they didn't really understand sensory a hundred percent. And I remember at the time being desperate, trying to say, cause I'm more of like a do it myself kind of person. I'm like, just, I wish someone would just tell me what to do. And then I could do it myself um, because the OT would come and be like, she shouldn't be climbing on the table. And I felt so judged by her. You know, she'd be like, oh, you know, you know, why do you let her climb on the couch? And I was like, Oh, you know, you are making me feel so much worse. And the feeding therapist wasn't that great either, to be honest, but there was no book. I think there was one book and it just, you know, I just wanted like a very quick explain Mm -hmm. to me what's happening. If there were videos, I would have loved that. If there was your course available. Oh my gosh, that would have been the first thing I would done. And then I would have been fine. And she probably would have been better actually at this point, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. OT's Uh, are not all trained in what is called sensory integration that's really what it falls under and sensory integration is really kind of integrating um this this thing called sensory processing in our brain so that it's just functioning uh at a higher level and not kind of causing all these snags in our daily life because it really does have a ripple effect while i You know, you may, somebody may say, well, okay, they're really active. They climb all the time, but that often translates to a child struggling to sit in school and be able to learn or be able to sit down and have dinner with their family, which is really important for, you know, connection and, you know, a multitude of things. But if they can't sit down because of their sensory needs and they're missing out on those experiences, it starts to fit everything. Or if a child is so sensitive that they can't go to the birthday party because they are scared of the noise or everybody's singing or all of the kids running around or bumping into them, it's having a major impact on their social experiences, their engagement, uh, their social skills. And so it's so important to address it. So not all OTs do specialize in sensory. And unfortunately, I think that is what you experienced. I mean, it absolutely makes me cringe hearing that an OT would ever say, why are they doing this and not see what is happening? But that, that unfortunately is definitely the case. I do think things are better now than they were a decade ago. And therapists are much more uh, aware of sensory or at least able to say, I think that might be sensory You should probably see somebody that specializes in that. But I also think it's really important to know that there is so much that a parent can do at home, like you were saying, and there are some really good books out there. But what I find from the books is that they're either written on a very high professional level, that it's difficult for a parent to track, or they are... Kind of like an introduction. And that's helpful. That's helpful in just kind of understanding what sensory is, but it's not really giving you the next steps on exactly what to do to help your child to either improve their sensory processing or to help them compensate. Because there's a lot of strategies that you can do that are going to just support your child and that they can really learn to advocate for themselves especially with those sensitivities, when things are too loud or too bright or smell too strong, or they can't wear their clothes, all of those types of things that really can have an impact on their entire day.
0: Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times as parents, we just, one, we may not have the money or the time or the resources or the accessibility to an OT that really fully understands sensory. Two, for my audience, that might be a back burner issue because they're going to see the anxiety or OCD therapist and they have to see the psychiatrist and the parents burnt out. And they're like, I don't have time to address yet another issue, even though you're right. The ripple effect is huge. I mean, I've seen that with my kids. My son had to wear vibes in his ears when he goes to school. Sometimes he didn't want to go to school because the kids were too loud and rowdy. He couldn't climb on like the, the jungle gym because he would see the the slats and the openings down below, like all sorts of things that I learned from you. sensory. So I was much better with my, my following two after my daughter, but to get a video or to get a course, that's just easily digestible. I mean, that's why I like your resources because I, I feel like you're like my style for OT, you know, like you're my, you know, it's like, it's the same delivery. It's like, it's easy. It makes sense. It's down to earth. And it's like, I'm a visual person. And so seeing it really helps, you know, watching something can be helpful. Some people are auditory, but you can do both. Um, And so I love that. So I think that's a good point that you're saying is, you know, parents can learn these tools
1: themselves, um, which is important. Absolutely. And, And the thing too is OT can be great. Like if you have the time and the resources to go to OT, that's fantastic, but it's once a week. So you're still dealing with your kid, you know, the other, I don't even know, like hundreds of hours a week. Uh, because that's one hour at the most a week and that's great, but uh, they really need that consistency every day. Uh, And when you learn it, it just, it makes life so much more seamless. Yeah, I agree. So if a parent's listening to this and they're thinking,
0: oh my gosh, my child definitely has sensory issues. They don't have to have like sensory processing disorder, but You know, my son, who's afraid of like walking on the jungle gym, not anymore, but you know, and all those other things, he doesn't have sensory processing disorder, like his sister, but they were things I had to help him navigate. They were, you know, an issue for him. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I actually probably should do some sensory stuff, which would really complement the work that I do. Because when your child's having a meltdown or when they are struggling, a lot of times their sensory issues bubble up as well. Mm-hmm. What would be the first thing a parent can do to address some sensory needs?
1: I think uh similar actually to to how I think you often approach anxiety, the first and most important thing I think you can do is to let your child know that you see that they need to keep running, that they're having a hard time. I think sensory kids start to feel so isolated because they don't think anybody understands that it is really hard, even though everybody else is running across the top of the jungle gym. This is really hard for me. And you're right. Like there's this huge overlap with anxiety, but there's something neurologically going on where that depth perception is off and they don't feel, they don't feel grounded, which is something that we take for granted. And I, and I mean, that's like from like a gravitational perspective. So that's going to get into like some deep sensory stuff, but your child may feel like they're standing on top of the empire state building about to walk across a tight rope when they're just on the jungle gym. Like it literally can feel the physical experience can be that intense for them because of how their brain is wired. So it's so important that we start to come alongside them. And I talk all the time about coming on their team. And what happens is your kid will start to know that you're working with them and not against them, when you're just coming to them and saying, tell me about that, or what does your body need right now? Because even if they're seeking or they're avoiding sensory input, they often can tell you what their body needs, or you can offer some suggestions with what you're seeing, keeping it really simple. That's a really good first step to take in just helping your child start to recognize and even begin to self-advocate for what they need. That was interesting. When you said that,
0: I just had like this weird epiphany. You know, my son now is 13 and he is like, he's got lots of phobias and anxiety, but one is heights. Like he is so petrified of heights and, you know, to understand from a sensory perspective that neurologically that depth might seem so overwhelming to him, you know, and I mean, when we're at the Grand Canyon, it is definitely deep, (laughs) but he can't even walk, you know, like five feet near the, you know, like we have to cross the street, like very extreme, but I never thought about his sensory issues as a little, like a toddler and being able to like, not walk on, you know, like a jungle gym and his, you know, his adult phobia, which is interesting because that makes me a little bit more empathetic (laughs) you know, that I'm not, but.
1: Well, right. But that is what happens, right. When we start when you really start to educate yourself, because sensory can be very complex, which is what I work to break down and to really simplify it. Uh, I worked in early intervention for many years, so I was often sitting in people's homes, I think like your OT was, and it just became my top priority to say it in the most simple terms. So that is really, all of my work is really based around saying it in the most simple way and telling parents really what they need to know. So You know, as a second step, it really is helpful to to educate yourself so that you do understand what these sensory issues are. And then there are specific activities to help for all of these different sensory needs. So there's, again, a lot of overlap. And again, we kind of break it down into really basic strategies so that you can kind of figure out, like, these are what my kids' sensory needs are. And these tend to be the activities that really help them. And when you know that, it, it almost feels like magic because they're getting what they need and their brain kind of clicks into sync because that the void that's there is now being met. Yeah. I love
0: that. Um, and you do a great job in your course, rising with sensory rise with
1: sensory. Can you tell us a little bit about what's included in that course? Absolutely. So it's based on five modules and, um, We walk you through a process of how to identify your kids' sensory needs. You actually get a really detailed checklist on all kinds of things that we tend to miss so that you can catch pretty much every area of your kid's life. And it gives you a sort of profile at the end of what your kids' sensory needs are. There's also a massive sensory activity vault. So you can kind of pair those needs to what the sensory activities or supports are. Of course, in all of that, we have video lessons, that walk you through everything with slides, handouts for almost every single lesson, and of course, a private Facebook group with live Q and A's every month. Because I do think it's really important because sensory needs can be so unique that you have uh, an opportunity to ask me questions. Uh, We have a couple of other OTs on our team that are active in the group every single day so that parents really feel supported in, you know, the, the kind of individual quirks or the challenges that they're facing.
0: I love that. I didn't realize that you do that. So you actually get, you know, the opportunity each month to to ask questions, learn from other parents and I love the idea of like understanding my child's sensory needs and then having the ability to kind of pick and choose what activities will help them. Because then it becomes um just your go-to where you don't have to think about these things. So right. you soak up the knowledge that you provide and then you have these tools, you have access to get support. Um, And I appreciate that you are actually offering a
1: discount to my audience right now.
0: So thank you for that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So your audience has $50 off a regular price, and we're also going to give your audience a special bonus that we don't usually offer. And it's 10 visual schedules uh, for kind of routines that are really difficult for, for sensory kids. So brushing your teeth, getting dressed in the morning. So, These are just like little pictures that they can kind of track to kind of complete their routine. This is an example of using one of those compensatory strategies. So when our kids are struggling or these, these aspects of the task are difficult and in those schedules are the built in sensory activities as well. I love
0: that. Thank you. I didn't even know that. So thank you for that. I mean, that's just (laughs) such a gift and um, it's a limited time. So I'll definitely leave a link below wherever you're watching this and uh, take advantage of this because um, it's just, it's so valuable. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. So glad to be here.
0: Well, I hope that you found that helpful. I feel like there's such an overlap. I can see so many sensory issues when it comes to my kids. It doesn't mean that they necessarily have another disorder and that I have to worry about, you know, now we've got two issues instead of one. It's just, it helps me understand why my kids do some of the things that they do. It helps give me ideas of ways I can help regulate them or teach them ways to regulate themselves that will work within their sensory needs. Uh, my son loves deep pressure. He loves to squish himself in couches and behind bean bags, And he likes to isolate his sensory um, input. Uh, lately, he's been wanting to like cover his eyes when he's doing things to like experience it without the, the visual, you know, that, that is calming for him. Uh, I was just talking to someone who said they like to calm down in a dark room. My, my daughter, she likes hugs when she's obsessed, I guess a physical input, but she's also moving a lot. I have a swing in my dining room and she is always swinging in that. She likes the input of the swing. So when we learn about our kids' sensory needs, we can create sensory activities, sensory coping skills that can supplement all the work that we're doing with anxiety and OCD. And that can be Huge, so definitely check out Alicia's uh, program, Rise with Sensory. It's really very well done. It's uh, I like it because they're quick videos that you can feel successful in rather um, effectively. And she gives if you know she's better than me actually because you get like some printouts of her courses. Uh, she also has worksheets like I do, and she has some activity cards. And what I think is really cool about her course too is that. She has videos that show the sensory activity with her kids, and so you can actually see what they physically like look like. And I'm a visual learner, and so for me, that's so much better than a book. So check it out. Like I said in the intro to her interview, she has been gracious enough to gift us $50 off of her course, which is awesome, um, because with the course, you actually also get her private Facebook group where she goes in and does Q&As every month. So you can have direct access to that expertise and ask follow-up questions. Uh, That discount is ending, like I said, on September 13th, 2023. So if you are interested, check it out now so that you're not like, oh man, I forgot, because I always do that. And to make it simple, I just created a very clean URL, so you can just check it out. She did create a special discounted page just for us at natashadaniels.com sensory. So check out her work and I will be back. This will not happen again. I'll be back and I'll stay in my lane and just show up in your inbox on Tuesdays. <laughs> I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do and I'll talk to you again pretty soon. Take care.